0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 56, The Beast Empires of Prophecy. And so I thought it would be a really good idea to come back and circle around to some more of the finer parts of prophecy and to understand how that sort of works in the chronology that I have been presenting over several different episodes in the past in terms of how end time chronology will unfold. And key to the unfolding of end time prophecy are the beast empires. So we're going to talk a little bit about the beast empires today. And we're going to talk a little bit about how we know who the beast empires are and how they're going to affect the last seven years of this age, and it's particularly appropriate for what is going on in the world today when there's so much confusion in terms of where where we are in prophecy, the birth pangs starting to take place, and I think I'll do a separate, complete sort of analogy of the allegories of the of the time of sorrow and birth pangs and how that all fits in so we understand the nature of the allegory that Jesus was using in the prophetic allegory to understand the catastrophes and interconnected in those birth pangs is the rise of the end time empire. And we're going to see a lot of misinformation that is going to be going on in terms of where we are, who the. New players in terms of the geopolitical and religious organizations are in the world. And a complete revamping of turning things inside out and making sure that those who believe in God and in Jesus are going to be the enemies of the new world order, the new Nephilim world order, as I like to call it, that is coming about. But it has a number of stumbling blocks before we get there. But we see more and more and more of this globalist movement that is polytheist in nature, even though they disguise themselves as seculars. This is akin to the Wizard of Oz with the wizard being a priest of the polytheist religions behind the curtain who's pulling all the levers of the world that he oversees. And it's all designed for deception. It's in the rabbit hole, so to speak, of the occult world and their ancient beliefs and their ancient genealogies and their ancient history and what they're planning to do for the end time and we see more preparation going on with this particularly as we start to see some of the more imagery of what happened in the past that will happen again become front and center and almost more in your face in terms of the entertainment and what's going on in the world today One of those images, which makes it pretty apropos, I think, to be talking about the beast empires, is an image of a statue that has gone up in front of the UN. If people aren't familiar with it, Google the Guardian UN statue that has uh, been erected at at the UN building. And it is a statue that is Uh, A guardian of peace and safety. So two things on this is is that a guardian is typically understood as a watcher, which includes several different groups of angels around the throne, including archangels, including the Ophanim, which are the angels in the the wheels of the throne of God. They also include the seraphim, and they also include uh, the cherubim. And when we look at some of the ancient icons of the cherubim, we get several sort of depictions that has four faces. So it's like a cherubim type of guardian that's showing one face, which again is not unusual in the depiction of cherubim in the past. And they're called cherubs in Assyria. They can have a lion's head. They can have an eagle's head. They can have uh, a man's head and so on and so forth. So they got four different faces that they can present themselves. Typically, if they're presented as an angelic type of figure like an Anunnaki, they come with the eagle face. And so understand that that eagle representation of the Anunnaki watcher and guardians would be from the Cherubim and part of the rebellious aspect of of the beast empires. And that when we look at uh, the Sphinx would be a similar type of beast. Whether or not it's got a lion's face or a human's face, it's still a Sphinx. So understand that seeing something like a Jaguar's face that is represented on this guardian is sort of the globalist stylistic artist of who's going to promise the peace and safety. So this is a, probably a watcher imagery of The coming end time religion or the end time empire that we're going to talk about but i don't want to get too far ahead of myself here and as we also understand the uh the guardian that is out there this is a guardian that is going to come to us as probably some different beings as the watchers will be depicted as powerful gods powerful aliens however the deception comes who are in the interest of humankind and trying to save us from destruction from the face of the earth. And that's going to be the common theme, both through the geopolitical organizations and the secular polytheist um, organizations where the polytheism is pulling the secular and the geopolitical strings from behind the curtain as the Wizard of Oz does. And so, when we look at this guardian, uh, look for some of these aliens to be part of those who support this whole idea of saving humankind from themselves and standing up against the evil god of the universe who just wants to keep us in ignorance and um, enslavement as they'll pose it to us. Although we know it's the ac- exact opposite of that, expect that that that's going to be the case, and so this is the guarding that's promising peace and safety and what's interesting about that is it's important to understand the time frame of peace and safety and where it fits into these beast king these beast empires and kings that we're going to talk about so that comes in first Thessalonians 5 uh, where when they're promising peace and safety sudden destruction comes and this is the time of the crowning of antichrist at the midpoint of the last seven years as revelation 13 says he rules for 42 months and this is the time when the wrath of God is going to be fulfilled and so this is a sign of what happens at sort of the accumulation of all of the influence of the beast empires that have been around since the beginning of of humankind and particularly with a reference to these beast empires that are after the flood as the allegory comes up for, from us in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Revelation 13, and Revelation 17. And you need to understand all of those details and understand that they do not conflict. We just need to understand them. And when we get into Reve- Revelation 8, you're going to understand a little bit more about Why I say they don't conflict, they just add more information. That's typically what the Bible does. But the polytheist forces and the spirit forces will say that's a contradiction. Look for how it adds to the information. There are no contradictions in in the Bible if you dig down deep enough. And so the seven empires that are represented in Revelation 13 and 17, are more than the four empires represented in Daniel 2, 7. But you also get the seven empires in Revelation 8. Again, we're going to bring that together, but we're going to start with the seven that are talked about in the time of John and for the end time as he laid out the visions of the Revelation prophecy. And at the time of Daniel, two of those empires have already have arisen and have gone by. So it's a forward-looking prophecy, not a dual prophecy that reflects back into prehistory. This is a straightforward prophecy with its own prophetic allegory, defined within the prophecy and defined within the Bible. And so we need to understand the beast empires are the dynasties that are the top of the mountain, so to speak, of the Raphaim post-Diluvian giants who took over all of the kingships in the earth. And only Israel remained after the creation of Israel against a world ruled by Satan and his fallen angels in a world of polytheism. And these seven empires that are beast empires and or the metallic empires as Daniel 2 would talk about, the more general term is the beast empires that carry forward into Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. You need to understand that these are the bloodlines of the Rephaim. These are Nephilim of the post-Diluvian world. These are the bloodlines that want to enslave humankind, have continued to do so in, in their endeavors throughout our history and will resurge in a way that we haven't seen since the time of the Romans. So let's talk a little bit about the seven beast empires. The first thing we need to understand about understanding who the seven are is that they, they all have an interaction with Israel and with Judah, Israel being the Northern Kingdom, Judah being the Southern Kingdom as they split after King Solomon and into the Northern and into the South. And we understand for prophecy, prophecies assigned to Israel, apply them to the Northern Kingdom, prophecies for Judah, apply them to the Southern Kingdom. Helps keep your chronology and understanding straight in end time prophecy. So the first empire that is going to have a significant impact on Israel is when Abraham's descendants go to Egypt, beginning with Joseph and then with Jacob and the rest of the sons. And they're going to remain there for over 400 years. And they're going to grow into a nation as a nation of slaves, just as all of the beast empires want to enslave all of those who follow Jesus and God. It's just part of the understanding. You need to understand that. Whatever they say their intentions are, It's the opposite, because if they're saying they're wanting to help humankind, it's only those who follow them in their belief system that they're trying to lead astray because they do not want humankind, the descendants of Adam, to achieve their destiny, to be raised up in the future time like angels, to be like angels. And so Egypt is the first. And then, of course, in the Exodus, you have Moses leading them out, and The next empire that's impactful to Israel after they take the land of the covenant away from the Rephaim, which is really good context for the Rephaim and giant wars that I I walked through in a number of uh, episodes that you may be interested in, that they actually remove the giants uh, for the most part, let's put it that way, from the covenant land, certainly within the borders that they govern, Uh, so that Israel could continue to be a nation and continue to present the Messiah to the world, which is the resolution to the angelic rebellion through all humankind who believe in Jesus and God being resurrected, um, to be like angels and to judge angels for their crimes against humanity and for the crimes against creation in the future time. And so... The next empire that's going to really affect Israel is Assyria, and you can take that as an extension out of Nimrod's Babel because he stays in Shinar and is the the root seed for the Assyrian empire. And they're going to come in in about 721 BC, and they're going to take Israel into exile they're going to threaten jerusalem but god is going to save jerusalem because they come back to the covenant and their stay is going to last for about 150 years rough and dirty and so israel is taken to Assyrian exile and then later dispersed and sold into slavery around the world notice the slavery in exile and diaspora and trying to destroy Israel from the face of the earth just as the Rephaim have sworn since Israel tried to move out of Egypt and into the covenant land and this will be part of the end time catastrophes and tribulations that people who follow Jesus and God are going to have to go through. So those are the two that are missing and the, the other four become present in The Daniel prophecies. And so we have Babylon at the time of Daniel and he's going to be presented as the gold king, the head, uh, the most regal, and as a lion in Daniel 7. And then you're going to have um, Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar in particular, he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to desecrate the temple. He's going to take Israel, he's going to take Judah into exile. So, again, a direct impact as the prophecy uh, of empires, the prophecy of beasts, the beast empires of prophecy affect Israel and Judah. And Nebuchadnezzar is the one who sets up this giant image for the whole world to worship, not in the temple, even though he's desecrated the temple, but Antichrist like. And that's exactly what Michael is fighting for, not to prevent the beast empires from coming, but to prevent the Antichrist from coming to power before the ordained times. And so after Babylon, you have Persia and Medes taking over from Babylon. And how they affect Israel, in this case the southern kingdom, they prevent the building of the second temple that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed. They prevent... They present the opportunity for Israel to move back to the covenant land and to be a nation again. And so, again, it's how these world empires always interact with Israel that's kind of important. And then after the fall of Persia, you have Greece, which is going to be talked about in Daniel Eight. and Greece interacts in the time of Alexander and the four kings uh, that are split into the empire after Alexander dies he's going to make Judah a, a vassal kingdom and he's also going to in the time of Antiochus the IV about 168 BC they're going to desecrate the temple again in an abomination like act not the abomination of the true Antichrist because he has not come yet which is part of not ignoring the prophecies um, that conflict with the preconceived perspective. We need to understand that these are sort of ripples. These are nothing is new under the sun. These are wannabe Antichrist figures, but they're not going to be permitted to um, become Antichrist. There's only one, and that's reserved for the end time. And so you also have something else that's going on that affects Judah, and then later the Christians who come into the covenant at the time of Jesus. And after the after his resurrection, as Christianity rises, this is a time in the Greek empire where the Torah, the Old Testament, is going to be translated into Greek from Hebrew, but with a lot of political and non-understanding sort of conflicts that are going in. So you get some conflation and some crunch- uh, uh, of ideas that are Greek and you get some misunderstandings that are going to happen and ultimately some corruptions and that's the Septuagint. So very very interesting as an older copy of surviving Masoretic text but not one that's 100% reliable and that's why it was left for the Judaic rabbis to preserve the original Hebrew manuscripts that were used to translate the modern Bible from today. So. Uh, Interesting for the Septuagint, but it's a time that's going to present the Torah not being lost from the face of the earth so that it's actually starting to get out to more people and in readiness for the the coming of of, uh, Jesus' church on earth. And then the next empire is Rome. And of course, Rome is the empire that is the iron one. Um, in the metallic ones uh, in Daniel 2. And Rome is the empire that is going to have the crucifixion of Jesus. And uh, it's a time that the temple is going to be desecrated again and destroyed, the second temple. And it's also a time of the fall of Jerusalem, and it's a fall uh, of the southern kingdom and into exile in a diaspora around the world. So again, a significant impact and a time of the birthing of the new covenant that's grafted into the old covenant while the hearts are still hardened amongst lost Israel and visible Judah, as I like to call them. And at that time, at the destruction in 70 AD of Jerusalem and the temple, the Christians have already, for the most part, fled, as most of them will. Um, and the Jerusalem church is going to struggle for supremacy, eventually losing to the Roman church. That's going to uh, merge with Mithraism in the time of Constantinople. All things that we feel today with the imagery and some of the days of celebration that are used in the church today and so that's the roman empire so what you get now is is we have those six empires and they're all impactful of israel and judah and so this has to be the case again for the end time empire the seventh empire to return and in daniel 2 and daniel 7 you receive an understanding that this end-time empire will rise out of the ashes of the old Roman Empire and understand that the Roman Empire was part of the Greek Empire. It was one of the four empires that Alexander's empire split into four. And so when you start to understand the math of that, you've got five that are in Revelation 8 that are mentioned, Alexander, the four notables and then the end-time empire. So the end-time empire is going to essentially come up out of the Roman and or probably both as part of the Alexandrian empire as a whole as well, or at least you could say in part that it was a part of the Greek empire. But certainly Antichrist is depicted as the same sort of descending individual in Revelation 8 as the horn and the unicorn as uh, you have that understanding uh, put into the Bible as that single horn uh that is going to rise amongst these ten kings of the end time, and so you have ten toes, you have ten kings, and you have ten horns in the allegory which and ten crowns, which are all the same allegory for this end time empire that's rooted in revelation thirteen seventeen and also daniel 2 7 and 8 as they all sort of work together and so when we count the empires using daniel 7 and 2 we arrive at seven empires with the rise of the end empire once we include assyria and we include egypt revelation 8 is not in contradiction here revelation 8 is adding more information about what the Antichrist will do when he comes to power and where he is more directly related to. And so you have the four empires that are split amongst the nobles. You have Alexander, and then you have the two that are before. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I you have the the they have the five let's go back and start that again you have alexander then you have the four notables that's five and then you have the two that are coming after you have the roman empire which uh, succeeds the greek empire and was part of the greek empire then you have the end time empire and then in revelation 18 this little horn that grows up that's talked about in Daniel is the Antichrist who is the eighth empire who is going to be handed his power to him by these 10 kings that form this end time empire. And that happens at the middle point of the last seven years. So by inference and understanding, you know then that the 10 kings rise as this 10 king empire before Antichrist rises amongst them. Of course, it's Daniel who's going, to be, who's going to describe Antichrist as being around for the formation of these ten kings of the end-time empire for Babylon in Daniel 9.27. And then at the midpoint at the abomination, that's when he comes to power. And so when we look at Revelation 8, it now fits with the same number, but we get a little bit more information about this empire. And it's Antichrist who is going to promise peace and safety after he comes to power, after the counterfeit Armageddon that happens after the Abyss is open in Revelation 9 and you have the 200 million man war which is the same war as Joel 1 and 2 and the same war as, uh, as Ezekiel 38 and 39 and is going to look like Armageddon but Antichrist will need this counterfeit Armageddon because he's the counterfeit Christ and he has to counterfeit everything including the resurrection as Revelation 13 talks about um, having Antichrist having a mortal head wound. So now when we talk about Revelation 13 and 17, we understand both are talking about seven kings and seven crowns. Seven heads, seven kings, seven horns. It's the same allegories that are being derived out of Daniel that are overlaid in Revelation 13 that begins the midpoint of the last seven years, which is the reign of Antichrist of three and a half years. In Revelation seven, seventeen, 17, you have the seven kings who are also seven hills. Not either or, they are both. So you have to understand that allegory is both. So it's the seven kings, antichrist type figures of those particular past empires. So we will have an antichrist figure, an antichrist wannabe as part of those ten kings. And that's why you're going to have that Armageddon war just as Gog as you take that back to Greek and Hebrew, is also understood as an allegory for an end-time Antichrist figure. Not the Antichrist, but a Antichrist figure for for the end time. And so, once we start to understand what is being talked about, we can start to analyze that at the midpoint where you have this empire that rises out of the sea, that has this ten... uh, the ten kings from the uh, and and extending out of the seven beast empire and it being the seventh you're going to see an allegory that is now going to start to come together in revelation 13 of this empire coming out of the sea as being a leopard and a bear and a lion like so the mouth is a lion the feet is a bear and the leopard is uh the the head and so when you're looking at the mouth, you're going to see the teeth. So when you look at the guardian, you've got a jaguar, which is a leopard-like animal. You have the mouth of a lion. You only have the two wings as opposed to the four wings as what would be described in Daniel 7 because that's the leopard king. That's the Greece kingdom, right? So when you start to link the Greece kingdom with the leopard from Daniel 7, you get the, the, the horn goat in Daniel 8, that's linked to the Antichrist, and then you see this guardian figure that is sort of bringing together that, that understanding of Revelation 13 in a stylized manner, um, you're going to start to see the connections that this is what is coming from the new world order, that you will have this beast just as Antichrist is called a beast and is a king that rises amongst that beast, at the ordained time will promise peace and safety after the Gog War, the Joel 1 and 2 War, the Revelation 9 War, the 200 million man army war. And It will last for a little bit, but not that long. And what we're also understood is is that the ten kings, the ten toes, the ten horns, will hand their power over to the beast for one hour. And that's when he's going to crown himself as the king in the temple, the abomination as Jesus describes, and crowning himself in the temple as uh 2 Thessalonians 2 4 talks about for the time of the end and all the timing sort of comes together so let's not get too far ahead of what we're seeing on some of the imagery this is their preparation an imagery and brainwashing that they're utilizing to prepare the world for what they're trying to bring about and even though they would like to bring about the end time sooner than later until the restrainer is removed until michael is removed in terms of restraining antichrist from coming forward the time is not right and you got a seven-year time frame that all of this is going to have to fit in according to daniel nine twenty-seven and all the other timing that we get throughout revelation as it looks at the periods of the first three and a half years and the periods of the last three and a half years you're going to have to have the universal religion that rides the empire come first, that's going to form and bring along uh, the uh, the 10 kings through false prophets and catastrophes that is going to enable the uh, Antichrist to negotiate this seven-year covenant. And these catastrophes are the ever-growing strength of the birth pangs. So... That's a little bit about how you want to maybe approach the understanding of the beast empires, is that they all work together and they just give you more information. We just need to understand how it fits into the chronology and not jump ahead to the rise of Babylon until we see the formation of those 10 kings, likely with the consummation of the covenant of death that Antichrist negotiates. So, until next time. May God bless you abundantly and I look forward to doing another show that I think will be on the birth pangs um, on the next episode. Thank you and goodbye.